This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a very special episode of the Dear Young Married Couple podcast. Yes. Today is Juneteenth, and we've picked this day um, for our BLM panel or Black Lives Matter panel interview on purpose. Yes. So we are going to be introducing each of our lovely guests. And um, then after we introduce them, we might actually ask one of you just to share with us um, what Juneteenth means and why it's a significant day. Um, so first, let's jump in and introduce you all. Um, starting with Cynthia Eldridge. Hello, Cynthia, welcome. Hi, thank you, thank you Cynthia, for having me. Aw, absolutely, it's an honor that you're here. Cynthia is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's also a school counselor at a community day school in Sacramento, and she's a colleague of mine. Um, I had the privilege of having her as an intern for a short period of time before she became licensed. And now she's been licensed for a couple years and has a private practice of her own. And um, she's awesome. We've, we've collaborated quite a bit over the last few years and we're thankful she's here with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And so next is Kevin Goward. Um, he has been a personal friend. <laughs> and uh, I grew up with him, and um, I personally, I, I know him and I trust him, and so yes. one of the biggest reasons why we had him on, but also um, he's a successful business owner. He owns two businesses, one in the finance industry, which he's been in the finance industry for about 16 years, and, um, and then he owns the, his other business with his wife and young son which I think is super cool because he's teaching his son entrepreneurship. And I can't wait to see what, um, what Nathaniel does. Yeah, He's going to go, he, you could already tell he's going to go places, but that's For because sure. of his, um, his parents' mm -hmm. insight and just in, in training that. I love that. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for having, uh, we're being on here, Kevin. Yes. Thank you so much. It's a privilege. And love you guys. Love you guys Aww. so much. Well, love you, Love man. you. And we have Dr. Daniel Blash with us today. And many of you have heard from him already because he's been on our podcast a couple of times. And we're honored to have you back today. Um, Dr. Blash is a licensed psychologist and a pastor in St. Louis. Um, he also serves as the Vice Dean of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at St. Louis University School of Medicine. And we are just honored that you're here with us today. We became connected several years back um, because we both teach for the same university. Um, well, you teach at several universities. Um, so we both teach for Wilson University as well. 
And um, man, you have poured into our lives. You've ministered to us um, when you're in the pulpit. You've taught us when you're in your professor role. And now you're here to teach us. You're all here to teach us today. And um, that's what the title of this interview is, Teach Me Black Lives Matter panel interview. So let's kick it off by asking one of you um, to share with us what is the significance of Juneteenth. Um, so whoever would like to jump in. Well, um, others may have a, a thought on this, but I'm certainly happy to get it started. Sure, please. Um, so Juneteenth is a very special day, and particularly those people around Texas would would understand this. And it, it's, um, it represents June 19th, so it's a smash up of those words, uh, which um, is um, the point um, in 1863 um, where the last slaves were told that slavery was over. Uh, there are so many things that are unique about it. One of them is the message they received was about two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, so after the actual end of slavery. Um, it took two and a half years to get the message to where they were in Texas somehow, some way. Um, within the Black community, it's thought of as Black Independence Day, which would be uh, in contrast to the 4th of July. So uh, it's very significant and getting a lot of attention right now. In St. Louis, where I live, the county has made it a, a national holiday. So their employees okay. are, the city is voting for that today. And there's a national movement afoot to make it a national holiday. And it's got a lot of traction right now. So that's kind of a basic summary of Juneteenth. Nice. Thank you for sharing you. that. That's helpful. I think a lot of people are maybe even confused about, maybe never heard of it, but those who have heard of it think it's just the anniversary of the ending of slavery. Um, but to hear that background is really helpful. Anything anyone else wants to add to that before we move on to a- uh, Fabulous job of explaining yeah, um, you know, really um, the significance because you, know, you really do need to understand that it is more than just the ending you know, of slavery. What Cutting oh, out a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really means to our, 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 um, our people. Yes. Mm, yes. Thank you. So um, should we jump into... Let's just jump in. Okay. So backing up 24 hours ago, <laughs> or a little more than 24 hours ago, um, you know, we had originally titled this talk, um, the, the title that it is, BLM teach me BLM panel interview. And um, we shot out the graphic to some friends and uh, friends who are all different races. And some of them came back and said, hey, um, it might be better to name it racial issues panel interview rather than BLM due to the fact that BLM can mean many things to many people. Yeah. And um, so we shot that over to you guys. And you guys had some feedback for us. So if you yeah. guys wouldn't mind just well, we, we named it BLM. Yeah. And then we changed it mm -hmm. and sent it out as racial issues, I think. Yes. And then we heard back from you guys and said, no, let's do, let's, let's stick with BLM. So, yeah, so we're, we're, we're in this place of, okay, teach us because 
you know, we want to, we want to be educated and this is not for us, at least a very common conversation. Yeah. It, it just isn't. Right. So I guess this is our opportunity to ask a lot of questions and, and be taught by you. So talk to us a little bit about, um, what does BLM maybe mean to you? So, um, if I can just say one thing real quick, um, I think, um, Sister Cynthia and Brother Brother Daniel Blash are probably more qualified on this subject uh, with their experience. But initially, I said, "Hey, racial, that's fine. Okay, sounds good, you know." Um, but thinking about the the what's going on today, uh, the racial issues is definitely too broad. You know, after thinking about it, you know, it's definitely too broad. We need to focus in okay, what is the issue and the Black Lives Matter um, definitely highlights, you know, what we're going through right now. Mm. And, um, you know, what, as far as what that means to me, um, it's not something that, that, you know, when somebody says Black Lives Matter, it's not just something that, oh, only Black Lives Matter. It's no, it's, it's basically my my feeling on it is that it's somebody that's crying out in pain. Like, hey, obviously all lives, we know that all lives matter, that's obvious. But um, when somebody's crying out, hey, I mean something too, you know, I'm, I'm important as well, you know, not, not just others. Um, so that's what Black Lives Matter to me, or mm -hmm. means to me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. Yeah. And I would probably step in and say, um, you know, that was really good, Kevin. I really appreciated, you know, the perspective. Um, it, it was great um, because, you know, when we did get the text and it was like, okay, I understand where everybody's coming from. And I do. And I said, because there is an alignment sometimes with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, with other marginalized populations. And so um, I, I do understand, you know, where people start to, you know, divide hairs and just kind of different things that are going on. And I think, you know, with um, Dr. Balash came in and he said, you said it perfectly. It was just like, we have to recognize it as a concept, you know, at this, at this moment in terms of what's happening at this stage in time at, in life right here in the United States, you know, what is going on um, and, and why we're at the forefront of the, you know, of the, of the, of the media, the attention, everyone that thinks that are going on, um, you know, and so, you know, it, it is a, a, an issue of the concept of really looking at um, how we are dealing, you know, the isms and racisms um, within our structure of the United States, particularly that's what we're talking about, you know, and just the structures of dominance or just different things that have been going on, um, you know, and so really being able to say, hey, there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of questions around, you know, some of the, you know, actions that are around. And it's like, you know, hey, there's there's a reason why, you know, um, the frustration, the, the fear, the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, crime you know they you know just the 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 feelings of, of terror just things that are, are going on um and this is what we're seeing you know as a reaction to some of the things that have been put in place over many years yeah yeah thank you yeah. for that um thank you both to kevin and cynthia and one of the things that's unique um is that the black 
Blacks in America are not monolithic in their thinking around these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, age and, and ex- how you grew up, all of that will influence um, how, how we answer back to this, this question. And so it's okay to have a diversity of, of thinking around this. Um, for me, I was disappointed that an organization sort of co-opted that phrase, Black Lives Matters, because it's such a powerful phrase. Uh, and then the organization, um, in my opinion, just kind of went places that not everyone is going to want to go, like me, for instance. Um, so I tend to, to obviously uh, echo everything that's been said. Um, right now in our history, we've got to pay attention to this issue um, of what's happening in Black America. Um, and we have to focus on that. And obviously... As Kevin said, um, all lives matter. In, in my home, it happens to be a mixed home. Um, so we feel like that in our home, we, we say black, white, and mixed lives matter. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we get that, right? Yeah. Um, but um, I, I've stayed away from the movement, uh, the BLM movement, um, and try to, all, but, but in doing so, try to endorse that right now is a very special opportunity, in particular for the church. We have in our apostolic history, um, you know, really from the Bible, but if we can look at 1901, 19 to 1906, we have a dynamic history that includes in the mid 40s, a racial divide within the apostolic movement that was black and white. Mm-hmm. So we, we can't get away from that. Uh, um, and, and now we have an opportunity to talk about that and to bury our head in the sand and forget our own history I'm not talking about U.S. history, I'm talking about apostolic history would be an atrocity at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. We actually want to ask some more questions about that further down the list. Um, we've had many people ask questions about racism in the church. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that one as well. Um, but thank you guys for each sharing the perspective that you have on Black Lives Matter as a statement versus uh, Black Lives Matter as an organization. And um, that point of clarification was really important. And it's so hard because people want to pigeonhole you, Mm -hmm. right? They want to say, oh, okay. So you think, so you believe all this. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's much more nuanced than, oh, so you're, you're in favor of this movement and everything that movement does. And what you're saying is not so fast. Right. There are elements of this movement that really have are changing some of the dynamics and and bringing up this conversation and mm-hmm. conversations all over the world right. about this very important issue. So, I, I I find that helpful that you hold that and you know it's I guess it's good to get that out out there right now. Yeah. Someone asked this, um, so maybe a, this would be a good point to ask it to you guys since you mentioned it, Dr. Blash. Um, Kevin, you mentioned it first, the all lives matter comment. And then Dr. Blash, you said in our home, it's a mixed home. So we say, you know, Mm -hmm. we include each of these statements. Um, What is a good response to somebody who might not be as educated and when they hear Black Lives Matter, they just kind of come back with like pushback and they're like, well, all lives matter. how do we respond to that as Christians um, who are trying to learn and absorb what you guys are, are teaching us today? You know, for me, um, it, it breaks my heart that 
uh, a person wouldn't already know that I know that all lives matter. Um, as a matter of fact, not, not just matter, they're sacred. Yeah. Um, and God alone has the purview of birth and death. And, and so that's a part of the DNA of our church. So no one has to educate me on that piece. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously, um, no one who is well-versed in theology is going to literally place a life over another life. Mm -hmm. um, so I try and start with that. But theologically, we, we are on the same playing field. Uh, what we're talking about are the social realities that are ours in our world and how they've played out. And, and we're not separate from that reality. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we come together to worship, we go home. We speak different languages. We have different traditions, mm -hmm. and and they all impact who we are. So you know, I, I try and bring it from that vantage point because um, I would hope it's it's a given um, mm -hmm. that the sanctity of life is something that we hold very dear for every life, young, old, black, white, and everything in between. Mm -hmm. I would hope that's that's a given. That's good. That's good. Any other feedback from Cynthia or Kevin? Well, I think that um, you explained it very well um, in terms of, you know, um, I know that every situation that we encounter is different uh, of, of how questions are, are formed or how people, um, someone approach us maybe for, uh, regarding the issues. Um, you know, I'm loving the fact at this moment that, you know, many are very inquisitive. They are coming with a ear to listen you know, mm -hmm. and there's an ear to learn. Um, and I think that becomes the, the biggest piece in terms of being able to share a piece of an experience, um, share uh, what, what's going on and what maybe the differences or the nuances are in terms of, you know, when we do make a distinction, we lives matter. You know, we care about all, God cares about all, yeah. you know, um, you know, he's not leaving any one of us behind at all, you know, um, but there's right, there's a separateness of, you know, uh, let's call it my, my, my church identity, and then there, you know, I have them, um, and so being able to really, um, you know, explain the heart, I, I um, in the approach, and just recognizing that, hey, you know, there are some things that have occurred, you know, in the historical perspective mm -hmm. that have have led to, you know, a, a cry, a need for equality or equity mm -hmm. um, to be, you know, demonstrated, you know, here on earth. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's good. Wow. That's yeah, good. I think, I think um, Bishop Wilson, he says it so well that, you know, we were all created in the image of God. And God. Um, yeah. so as, as Dr. Blash said, and uh, Sister Cindy said, um, that is, that's definitely the obvious. And it, it's just, I think it's important to, um, for others to realize, for us to, you know, sit down and have a conversation and say, hey, there really is an issue. Maybe you don't see it, you're blind mm -hmm. to it, perhaps, um, but there there really is an issue. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, share experience, kind of like what we're doing right now. I think mm -hmm. uh, this is definitely the start of, of uh, you know, explaining stuff so it's good. so good something i locked on to what you said as a second ago 
was that when you're talking about pain, mm-hmm. like it's not that it's not that you're saying that other lives don't matter and black lives do. Right. You guys have made that abundantly clear, but it's more about the pain of what's happened in history yeah. and even what's going on still today. Exactly. That this statement becomes necessary that black lives matter and that people are locking on to, Hey, something is hurting. So could we maybe talk about some of those stories um, that you've had personally, or maybe people that you've worked with because you guys all work with people that have um, kind of given you that, that insight into the pain that's happening Mm -hmm. that causes this statement to be needed to be talked about. Yeah. So maybe we could just hear a story from each of you to kick this off. Um, So Dr. Blash, you serve as the vice dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion at St. Louis University School of Medicine. So will you share with us an experience that you've had maybe in dealing with a student or a colleague who felt like maybe they were marginalized um, or there was a racial injustice done to them as a result of of their skin color? You know, absolutely. Um, if, If I could, and I can do this quickly, I would like to just go back in history for a, a little, a little bit. Please, yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about June, Juneteenth, and Fourth of July, uh, but I really didn't hit it as hard as maybe I could have. Um, for for Europe, Eurocentric or white America, um, seventeen seventy six represents um, a an independence. However, not everybody in America was independent or free at that point. Um, So what happens is 1863, blacks who were slaves are independent. And the message they hear is, you know what? Let's just all use July the 4th because we're all one people. Mm. Um, And we're going to talk about that because that language shows up in the church as well. But we're one people with very different experiences um, by hundreds and hundreds of years, um, and that's important. If you think about voting rights, 1840 or so, you can vote if you're white, male, and own land. Um, About 1856, if you're white, male, and don't own land. 1965, if you're black. Wow. Um, So there's a difference, and that difference has to be uh, a part of what we recognize as a historical narrative um, that if you understand that historical narrative, understand today's pain is a little easier. Mm. Uh, And then let's take Tuskegee, where black men were experimented on from 1932 to 1972. That was like not that long ago. Exactly. Yeah. There was a cure for syphilis that was discovered in 1947. They continued to not treat those men until 1972. Wow. Uh, so, you know, that's a part of, that's a part of the experience. So yeah. when people think about the trauma that's happened to black bodies, um, they're not talking about George, George Floyd. They're not talking about Trayvon Martin alone. They're talking about many, many, many other issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so 
there is, and later I'll maybe share this, there's a spiritual component to this mm. that we need to talk about because it, it helps us to heal and come to a level of feel spiritually. Um, mm-hmm. Now, to answer your question, um, if you don't mind, I'll just use a personal example. Sure. Um, I mean, I went in for a procedure at the hospital where I work as a vice dean uh, at the School of Medicine, and um, the anesthesiologist is making small talk with me. This was two months ago. Okay. Um, or, or so, two or three months ago. And he says, so uh, are you from here? Yeah, yeah. You have family? Sure I do. I have a wife and five kids. He said, five kids? I said, yeah. He said, from the same woman? <laughs> I, my mouth was just, I was, my mouth was wide open and I was stunned. Mm-hmm. Um, and wow. so I thought, where is he going with this? And so I said, yes. And that's an odd question. Now, this is the man who's about to put me to sleep. So we don't <laughs> want to fight with him. <laughs> I really want to wake up. <laughs> And then he says, oh, well, what do you do? And I explained what I did. He goes, where? I said, here. Well, you thought that would have slowed him down. He says, how did you get that kind of a job? Mm. Wow. Um, this, was three, this was three, two or three months ago. Um, mm. And it's one of the smaller examples I could give you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I uh, I'll go to banquets at my job and I call my wife and I said, dear, the banquet starts in five minutes. I'm sitting in my car. I will go into this banquet one minute before it starts because I'll be there no more than 15 minutes before someone walks up to me and says, excuse me, um, where's the bathroom or can, can I get a drink or what's on the menu tonight? They wow. always mistake me for the wait staff wow. because I'm typically the only or one of the only people of color in the building. Mm-hmm. And it happens all the time. Uh, and again, so imagine these things building up. Piling yeah. up, yeah. Um, and, and if we really wanted to be bold, I would talk about how this happens in the church. But that wasn't your question, so I'm not going to go there. Oh, but that is a question coming up for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Save it. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing that experience. Yeah. That's so insightful. Because I think, you know, right now, especially what's going on, um, in America, we see like stories like George Floyd, Mm -hmm. you've mentioned some of these recent incidents. And while they're devastating, I think that's what people are assigning to racism in their mind. Like this is what racism is. is, Police injustice. Right. Whereas it happens every day to you, to, to a lot of people of color, um, on a micro level. And, and it has major effects I'm hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear um, maybe a story from uh, you, Cynthia, next. Um, It could be a personal story or a story maybe that you can share um, there at your, the school where you work at. You've shared a lot of stories with me, um, but whatever you'd like to share, we'd love to hear. Okay. Well, I'll share a little bit about my background. Yeah. So I um, actually grew up here in Sacramento. Um, I'm the product of a military family. Um, so I grew up um, here in a military community, um, you know, so it is actually very diverse, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you're on the military bases, you see all nationalities and those who, who um, 
moved off of the base and, and settled in nearby communities. It's, it's very, you know, very multicultural for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, however, back in the 70s, he was talking about Tuskegee ending in 72, and I was born in 75. Mm -hmm. So um, when we um, settled in Rosemont, some of you people in Sacramento kind of know that area, it was uh, predominantly a white community. Mm -hmm. um, and so I grew up um, amongst, you know, one child amongst of uh, one African American child in a, in a group of 30, 25, 30 kids in schools. You know, I was, that was my life. That was actually kind of normal uh, for me. Um, however, you know, when you are growing up um, in those type of areas and, and um, scenarios and environments, you start hearing things that you didn't recognize. Well, I think you had a question earlier about microaggressions. Yes. Um, so, you know, becoming the smart girl or a black girl, mm -hmm. um, you know, being very articulate, knowing how to be well-spoken. Um, my mom just was a stickler. Yeah, she couldn't even be in a play in, in any... But, um, but there were lots of times and places, you know, where I was the only one or I was the person who was the sticking out person. Um, so either I was the guest, you know, I wasn't necessarily supposed to be there. Um, let's see, um, because I'm dressed down, I'm the one who's being followed in the, in the store. That happened not too long ago either at Coles. Um, You know, someone's wow. following me. Why? Because wow. I'm like, I made very highly educated woman and you're following me. Why? Because I got on sweats, you know? Mm. Um, so wow. lots of different ways and reasons. Um, what's interesting is another, um, Tennessee Coates, the um, author, actually comes from my Howard alumni, um, um, the alumni from Howard. Um, but he wrote a book that was actually penned after the, he wrote it to his son that was actually penned after the death of one of our friends. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, his name was Prince Jones, in which case he was actually profiled, um, in Baltimore area, in the Maryland area, in which he was shot to death. Mm -hmm. Um, just, you know, no intentions, no, nothing there. Yeah. Um, you know, that becomes some of the realities of our lives, you know, oh. and we talk about the impacts of, but I'm a mom of three boys. Yeah. That means a lot you know, in terms yeah. of maintaining their security and how do I help them navigate, you know, this world, mm. um, you know, and maintain their safety, you know? Yeah. So, you know, when we start talking about, you know, the experiences, our experiences shape us, right? Yes. You know, um, and and there'll be very perspectives based upon it. You know, um, mm. I, I often tell people, I, said, I have actually never heard myself be called out of my name, but my children have. Mm. Mm. Wow. My children have, and my children have at church, you know, mm -hmm. so we talk a little bit about that divergence, mm -hmm. you know, um, so, you know, how do I help them navigate those pieces and yeah. still love the Lord, love yeah. God's people, right? yeah. and help them learn to help others as we all want to grow. Yeah. yeah. Cynthia, do you ever fear for your boys' lives, for your life, for your husband's life um, when you're out and about, when you're driving, when you someone gets pulled over, is that ever part of your experience? It's absolutely part of your experience. Mm. Um, it's absolutely, you know, um, there is a there is a fear, it's a panic, you know, of making sure everything is right, done right. Um, 
they're in, in terms of, you know, not agitating anyone or doing anything that looks suspicious or anything weird. And I mean, we're fairly good functioning people, you know? Yeah. So, right. but it is still something that's there, you know, did we normally manage to get through traffic tickets? I mean, there have been times when it was, it was extremely questionable uh, or downright wrong you know, what the accusation was. And then the ticket was kind of dumbed down to something frugal, right? Just something mm-hmm. that wasn't a bunch. And it's like, well, you know, um, you know, so it's definitely been some times when we, we need questions, but as my children get older and they are driving on their own and I have to, you know, explain that, hey, this world is not always so friendly. So, you know, you take precautions to make sure that, you know, you're in, 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 in good places, you know, use sure. common sense come home with a decent time, yeah. you know, being outside um, um, and just being, you know, aware of your surroundings and where you're at and who you're with, you know, mm-hmm. I said, but it's definitely a, a concern as they learn to navigate on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is, it is definitely one of those things if they're gone too long and they're gone too late. So yes, I still stay up and wait for my kids to get home. Yeah. Wow. It would seem like that would be just such a mental load to carry around all the time. It is. it is it's like to watch your p's and q's and you got to walk a certain way or dress a certain way to go somewhere that we i guess i wouldn't have any issue with right right so that's kind of where when we talked about you know when you're seeing the frustrations that build up when you start to see the emotions that well up you know these are the things that you're talking about when we hear of the trayvon martins and we hear of you know the george boys and our armand um our arbery um you know, that young man looked like my son Mm -hmm. and could have been my son running around with just like Jordan running down the street, you know, Jordan jogs all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, those are things that connect. And we start to look at, you know, those pieces of our history that, you know, are riled up, you know, when you can make a connection that, hey, you know, it could have easily been, this wasn't some person that was dealing with a crime or, you know, someone who, who deserved any type of issue. Um, and so, yeah, those are those pieces that, you know, you, that extra worry, that extra thing that kind of goes on in mm-hmm. terms of, um, and what you'll see the frustration that comes out, you yeah. know, when you'll start to see just the pain or the fear, you know, that just starts to show up and, you know, these are built up, you know, we often talk about in counseling and psychotherapy, you know, just life, just, you know, things pine, you know, pile up and then eventually mm-hmm. they're released, you know, and yeah. so we a lot of times suffer in silence. Yeah. yeah. And we all know, well, because we do a lot of marriage counseling and we have a lot of people here with a lot of experience in that arena. We know that when things are stuffed for and happen for a long period of time, and especially starting when you're such a young child to feel the out, you're the outsider, mm-hmm. you feel marginalized, marginalized, you're you know, all this. So it's very much on your mind. And so you probably pick up even more because you're seeing it more and because it's, it's a bruise, I guess, that keeps getting punched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I have a quick um, example. So I did have a student that um, was, that came to us. They were about uh, 15, but they talked about their first experience. So I get to, I have the privilege of working with my students and do um, therapy at a community day school. Um, so these are cool kids that have actually been removed from their comprehensive uh, sites and they are fourth grade through eighth grade. So extremely early. 
um, for this to be occurring because it actually is part of what we call the school to prison pipeline. Um, but, um, you know, in, in our work, we try to work that our students are coming with a lot of complex trauma, a lot of things that are really working um, within their uh, their uh, psychosocials and different things that are going on. So, but this particular student, you know, she's a heavier girl, and so with being either a bully, you know, or or she's being um, uh, a, a victim of being bullied, right? Mm -hmm. So she actually told says when she was in the second grade, she was in class, and there was a young boy that was throwing spitball. And so she throwing spitballs, and so what he did, she did is she went and told the teacher that the child was was uh, throwing spitballs at her. Mm -hmm. And the teacher did not, it will teach told the boy to stop, but of course that didn't stop the situation. That didn't stop the situation. So young girl eventually gets up and you know confronts the young man, the young kids, her and um and she's an African American child, um, hits her and then um uh, she she hit him back. But of course, you know, we have a in education, there's a zero tolerance policy, which is also very uh, uh, kind of constructive. So, um, so she's getting suspended too. And so, what the interesting piece of that was is that because she couldn't believe she was being suspended, why she's trying to defend herself or take care of herself, right? Well, here was the underlying message that she learned is that she would protect herself in the school setting now on because no one was gonna, no one was going to protect her that was the underlying you know concept that she took away from that wow so it progenic, um, generated the the onslaught of just you know kind of that that pattern for her within the school system yeah. you know she was treated you know and things of that nature mm. um you know so sometimes we wonder you know why people act or are responding in ways that they do and it's you know it's because of the experiences that they yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, thank you for sharing yeah. that. And thinking oh, yeah. about this girl that doesn't feel safe within the school system, mm -hmm. I guess my mind went, is she really going to want to go back to this, that same school system to go get a degree? Because she's not safe there. And that's yeah. why, um, and we wonder sometimes where we talk about the inequities, you know, in education, um, you know, and and we forget to go back, you know, down to, you know, the basics of belonging, security, safety, you know, food. Um, but we go straight into test scores and, you know, we could go a long time when education yeah. and yeah. education. So that's a whole nother, <laughs> yeah, yeah. whole nother topic. But yes, but, but feeling like you belong, you know, mm -hmm. feeling like people care, you know, yeah. uh, that they're making for you, you know. Yeah. That's a, it's huge. Mm, thank you. Thank you for sharing. How about for you, Kevin? Um, whether it's a personal story or something you experienced in your professional setting as a banker or in the finance industry, um, can you share with us maybe um, experiences you've had with racial inequality? Um, sure. Um, you know, it, uh, when uh, pondering this whole session, I, I had to actually go back and um, go back to my childhood really and you know think of some of the experiences that I had at school 
And I remember, and a lot of a lot of this stuff, I had to really think about it to be honest with you, because a lot of this stuff I've tried to let go and just, yeah. you know, you know, because anytime, as as the others had stated, anytime something comes up, it brings up that pain. It brings that, mm-hmm. you know, it resurfaces. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I went back and I thought, um, and I believe I was probably about in the third grade. And um, there's a, a boy that um, um, he would come up to me and he would take his finger and he'd, you know, put his finger on my arm and he'd look at his, his hand or his finger. And, um, and basically what he was, what he associated black with was dirty, being dirty. And yeah. he would look at his finger and, uh, you know, mm. and then he would touch my hair and, you know, put, put his hands on my hair and mm, why is your, your hair so sweaty and greasy and, mm. you know, um, and mm-hmm. he would do that often, you know, and I, I was a pretty laid back kid, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty laid back, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I be honest with you, I don't, I don't look for trouble. I don't try to cause trouble. Yeah. Um, but it was very hurtful. It was very hurtful. Um, and, um, I never really, I never spoke to a teacher about it. Um, I'm not even sure that I even talked to my mother about it. You know, I just, just kind of, it was something that, um, that I held in, you know, and, um, every once in a while it, you know, I think back on it and I'm like, man, um, but, you know, I'll be, be honest with you. I don't, I don't like people touching my hair. Sure. <laughs> no. Don't touch my hair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let, let me pull your hair. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, that was something that was, that was, it was just very hurtful just to yeah. be associate, be, you know, being black, you're being associated with being dirty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and then kind of, uh, and I'll, I'll make this, this brief, um, going you're, to, you're um, as far as my professional career, yeah. um, I've always worked in a pretty diverse environment. Um, so I didn't really deal with too many issues, um, as far as with colleagues, you know, there may have been, you know, some, I know we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but as far as unintentional you know, things that were mm-hmm. said that, you know, they didn't mean by, but mm-hmm. um, it was more so clients, uh, customers um, that I would get some issues from. And mm-hmm. I can remember one time um, when I was actually, when I first got the banking job, it was Washington Mutual. Um, oh, I probably wasn't supposed to say the name. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but anyway, um, anyway, I was working and I was a teller, just had started probably been maybe about a year. And there was a lady that um, would come in and she would try, she would always try to avoid me. And I was, I was the only um, black teller at that time, but we did have other, you know, we had Hispanic and, you know, other, other races and stuff there. Um, But I noticed that she would always avoid me. And every time that she would come in, and it's not that she had a favorite teller. She would go to everybody else, but she wouldn't go to me. And um, and there was one particular time that um, 
we were short staffed um, and she had been waiting a long time. So she ended up going to me and, um, you know, she was making a deposit and I handed her a pin. She's like, nope, I'll use my own pin. I'm good. You know, I'll use my own pin. Um, and wow. uh, she was just very, very, very nasty, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and you could feel the, the hostility. And, you know, that was another drop in the bucket that, you know, had an impact. And, you know, I think as a result of these experiences, you know, what a lot of black people do is, you know, you put, you build up walls, you know, cause you don't want to be hurt, you know, even in the church, you know, you, sometimes you, you know, there's, and I've, I've just been kind of evaluating myself and I'm like, you know what? there's some walls that I've even built up um, because I don't want to be hurt. You know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to have to go through that pain. And, um, and I think for effective healing, um, those walls really have to come down um, and they need to breathe. You know, sometimes it's good for a, a wound to have to get air after a certain point. Yeah. to be able to heal yeah there's still going to be a scar um but anyway um I, i'll stop there no, that's <laughs> so good Kevin, that's, that's so that's so well deep yeah one of the questions i guess i have for you that i mean i instantly saw the connection between how that story of you know what that kid did to you you know touching your skin your hair and then the connection no i'll use my own pen <laughs> You know, it's telling you the same exact thing yeah. and how that brought probably that pain, the, that old pain right back. And maybe there's probably numerous stories like this. Um, I guess the thing that came up for me was what, um, what, what do your walls tend to look like? How do you protect yourself? Um, and then I know that you're working on it, but what are those things that, that that happened for you when you try to protect yourself um i think mainly keeping to myself you know keeping um you know if if an issue comes up or whatever you know staying silent mm. because you don't want to um be perceived as a angry person or you know um, you may have heard the term angry black man or angry, yeah. <laughs> angry black woman. You know? yeah. um, but you, it's just kind of secluding yourself and, you know, and people are getting together. Um, like, you know what, I think I'll, I'll probably stay home. You know, mm. I think I'll, um, you know, um, and that, and that, um, that happened quite often, you know, growing up, um, as a young person. Yeah. You know, I'll, I think I'll stay home or I'll, you know, hey, you guys want to come? We're, we're going out to so-and-so's house. You know, you know what? I'll probably stay home. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And um, just basically staying quiet, keeping to myself. Yeah. Holding that in, holding that, that stuff in. Mm. Wow. That's, yeah. And from a mental health perspective, yeah. that isolation as a wall then contributes to, you know, the the piling up of other symptoms like depression, anxiety, and then we hear statistics of, 
you know, how we, we have various diagnoses that are more prevalent in the black community and we wonder why. Yeah, that's right. If I can, if I can chime in, please, uh, you know, I would like to say to the, the pastors listening of what I call PWCs, primarily white churches, mm-hmm. that the sentiments you're hearing now from me and these other, um, these other guests are very consistent um, throughout the black community. Um, those pastors need to know that your, your black congregants are not okay. And you may not be able to see that. On the other side of the pastoral side, it might answer the question, why can't we get these new black people to actually start coming to stuff and being a part of stuff? And, mm. and, and you, you may never hear the truth. The, the person may never say, well, I'm not safe or I'm whatever, but it, it happens. It's, it's real. And my phone rings constantly during these tense moments like we have right now black people calling me from primarily white churches going you won't believe what someone just said on facebook you won't believe that you know and uh, i'm calming them down and trying to bring things back into perspective but they're not okay yeah Um, very very quickly um because um kevin and cynthia they they hit so much and it was so powerful yeah um said some things that i think I've heard others talk about, so I'm going to go through just Please. maybe with them. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry if I give the credit to the wrong person. I think it was Cynthia who alluded to this notion of crime somehow. And, and let me tell you when I, I had a conversation with a friend and I said, George Floyd should probably be out on bail or in jail waiting to be sentenced for whatever he did. He shouldn't be dead. Yeah. The, the black community is not by and large saying, well, I know people are committing crimes and that should not be a problem. No one's saying that. Right. We're saying he should be, I'm saying he should be, if he's guilty of something, he should be awaiting trial for that or right. out on bail for that. He shouldn't be dead. The other thing I would say, um, and that's across the board for any situation like this. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say, and you all have alluded to it, uh, this morning I was in a Zoom call with a pediatrician and we're talking about the accumulated stress and how that stress can be a good thing when you need it. But if it's always there, then mm-hmm. it causes a variety of problems that impact almost every major system in the human body. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I heard Kevin saying, you know, sometimes things happen and I just kind of hold it in. What I want to scream was, no, you're not holding it out in. What you're doing is you're poisoning the inside so that you don't poison the outside. Um, so, wow. so we're trying not to be offensive black men. We're killing our, our women. That poison's going somewhere. And the super spiritual would say, well, lay down at the altar. Um, and that's a good answer. Uh, and Kevin said that. At some point, you have to work through it. Um, also, we have to figure out where is it coming from and how do we stop it? Yes. Uh, not just what we do with it. This mm-hmm. conversation is talking about that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we know yeah. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're going to lay it down at the altar. But um, I can I just tell you that doesn't help me a bit if you put it right back on me tomorrow. Right. right. Mm-hmm. I want a pathway to the altar. Uh, we got to deal with some of these other problems. So mm. 
Wow. Yeah, I'll stop there. Just no, that's so good. So good. In fact, I think another good question to follow up, um, this came from one of the, um, we put up a question sticker we yesterday. We had a lot of, of people sending in questions. Yes. So we tried to narrow it down. Yeah. And before we get into that, one of the questions that we have, um, yes. Well, I'm pointing to the she's question. She's pointing to a to question, to. but I wanted, I, we passed over this one, mm -hmm. but I think some people are just confused on how to refer to people oh, of color. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's probably such a basic question, but um, I heard African, in this conversation, I heard African American, I heard black. Are they both okay? Is people of color okay? How do we talk yeah. about this and how do we talk about, you know, like for instance, if I said, it's, I, so I saw a black guy walking down the street, is that offensive? Yeah. So um, I bet you we're going to have different answers. I'm really excited <laughs> to hear uh, what Kevin and Cynthia Quickly, <laughs> <laughs> this has gone along the age line. Now, that's not, that's not uniform, but typically. So I have, um, because of kind of where and how I grew up, I've adopted African-American. But lately, uh, Black with a capital B has been sort of the descriptor. And I kind of like that too. Mm -hmm. So within the community, well, let me speak for me. Mm -hmm. I go back and forth with those interchangeably. Okay. Uh, and then I hear a lot of people talking about POC, people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm talking about people of color, I will say that as well. If I'm talking about an individual, I may use one or the other. Obviously, um, you know, the best thing to do is always to say to the person, how do you prefer I, you know, address say you. this about, yeah, address you. But for me personally, I use it interchangeably, mm -hmm. um, just depending on kind of where my mood is for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds right. very Blash-like. That's <laughs> good. Depending on where my mood is. <laughs> Which means I'm not going to get offended at you for using it interchangeably either. Okay. Because no clue to know where my mood is for the day. So, <laughs> got it. Right. I love okay. it. Okay. How about for each of you, uh, Cynthia? I would. I would definitely say. Um, I typically go by African American, um, but I do interchange. As you said, kind of depending where I'm at, who I'm with, um, <laughs> whether or not I will use the term black. Because I said, "Bro, I'm black. You don't play with me." <laughs> just you know, yeah, just depends yeah. on how I'm doing. Um, but um, you know, it, it definitely changes throughout generations you know so you know you you know those who were were i mean all the way down from the you know, from negro to negro to you know you know per, person of color um then you've got black then it was african-american we actually reclaimed black right because it was used as a negative mm. right so we've come back by this term we're going to use it or you know how we're going to use it Mm. Um, you know, so that's where you get that, that switch of, well, some people say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm black, you know, and those mm. will say, Hey, you know, no, I'm, I'm African-American. Um, I tend to interchange their, you know, in between the mm. best way to always know is just figure out either you listen for how they refer or you listen or you ask questions about, mm. you know, just, Hey, how would you rather, I, like, if you start stumbling, um, um, my, uh, African american friend you know <laughs> they may correct you and say you know it's okay to call me you know x y and z this is how mm -hmm. i identify right okay is that so is that uh, weird when people stumble I mean, I, i'm sorry um 
like it it it, it can be so okay. so one of the things that you know kevin was talking you were talking about walls right so one of the things with walls that we kind of use it's sometimes uh projecting uh, figuring out where people are coming from ahead of time we've already kind of got some assumptions at least kind of going on um, I might be overcompensating a little bit. So sometimes I'm already there, already in that space and already ready for almost any question that you mm. can throw out for me, right. depending on who I'm with. And, mm. you know, so I'm not what you call relaxed, you know? Wow. So it's a difference between yeah. being totally relaxed and comfortable and see that may, they may throw me if I'm relaxed. So it's not going to throw me if I'm prepared for any type of, of, of situation gotcha. that may come in. But I wow. also do appreciate you know, when someone has the, you know, the foresight to kind of say, hey, you know, how, if they stumble, I just will, I sometimes will just chuckle and say, girl, I'm African-American, you know, or whoever it is, you know, yeah. so, um, you know, um, so I've, I've learned, I said, because I appreciate just the, the, um, someone just actually thinking, thinking of me and going, taking that point, that, um, that extra yeah. mile mm -hmm. to, to just, you know, get to know me a little bit better on a personal level because it can be personal. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's good. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Just to have that permission to say, how should I address you? And if mm -hmm. that's because is that okay? You know, like yeah. that's what people are wondering. Is that even okay to ask you? You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that's good. How about for you, Kevin? Um, I think Sister Cynthia hit on a couple key things. And one is um, it depends on where the person's coming from. And then also, um, what type of relationship do I have with this person? You know, um, you know. Sometimes I I may ask the question like, you know, when I'm hearing somebody saying, "Yeah, this black guy is coming," or you know, whatever mm -hmm. they're saying, whatever they're saying, I will, I'll ask the question in my head. Okay, why is why is it important that it's a black person? You know, right. why why are they? You know, does that really matter? <laughs> you yeah. Know? Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, but I think just in my opinion, I think it just to be safe, you know, especially like in a professional environment working in banking, you know, if you refer to a person of color as an African-American, that's, you know, I feel like that is appropriate and professional. Okay. Um, so that's the safest. Route. Or the more formal. The more, for, yeah, formal yep. route. Yeah. Um, okay. But me personally, I mean, I could, if I, if I have a good relationship with you, I don't care either way. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I'm hearing from each of you that being African-American or black is part of who you are. Like you've each said, like referring to me or addressing me. Um, and That's that, an identity statement. Yeah. Almost. And this question came in from, from somebody, and I think it, it's a good segue here. Um, they said, do you want to be seen primarily as a person, i.e. an individual lens, or as a black person, i.e. a collective lens? How do current cultural dynamics like American and or African American and the publicity help or hinder that desire? So we could spend a whole podcast episode on this question, but we thought it was a profound question to ask. Um, so maybe, Dr. Blash, if you want to start off with your response to that. I, I will. Thank you. Um, let me preface this by saying I pastor a church in a very racially divided city. I pastor a church that's probably 50-50 white black and okay. a few other things sprinkled in there. Okay. 
So we hammer these issues home. And I tell our people, if you can't keep it, you're not taking it to heaven with you. You better be careful how much you fight for it and protect it and love it. Mm. So, so we're, you don't get to take your money, your blackness, your whiteness, your Jewishness or your Gentileness. You don't get to take that to heaven with you. You just don't. So um, we, we try and, and deal with that. And I try to tell our people, your number one identity is as a child of God. It's, it's first and foremost. Mm-hmm. It's not even like there is first, I'm a child of God. And then there's second, I'm a black man. It, it, these are different things. Mm-hmm. They don't compare like that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's not second. If, it was, if we had to quantify it, it would be somewhere far down the list because nothing compares to being a child of God. Nothing compares mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will force people to identify me primarily in that role. Um, and, and anything beyond that muddies the waters and it complicates things and it allows people to make me less um, than. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I won't and I won't tolerate that. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's a different sort of answer. I love but that. it's yeah. it's it's kind of where I am. And where our church is, um, you know, um, we've got experiences on earth that are, are going to be very different. But um, I know, I know who I am and I know whose I am. Yeah, so good. Yeah, love that. Thank you. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, Cynthia, if any, yeah, if anyone else wants Cynthia, to chime you wanna, in. You want to weigh in? Well, um, I, I wholeheartedly agree, I said, in knowing whose I am and who I am. Um and recognizing that, you know, my, you know, when you come to Christ, when you, you know, become a part of the body, um, you know, you recognize that that is above the smoke, you know, that that's the, that's the place where, you know, that's the, that's the ideal, that's, you know, this is where God intended, this is his his intended plan, all these different things. Um, So that is the identity when I have to figure out what's the order right you know what's the order when things come because you know i am a i am a person i am a human on this planet you know i have emotions and i feel you know what's what's going on and you know um and so when i have to figure out the priority you know then i go back to the word right the word takes me back to my priority takes me back to my lens that helps me to see you know when i got to the to the house of the lord that's when you know mm-hmm. you know i could understand things then right it makes things right. perfect and makes sense you know, um, as for, as for me, as I say, you know, um, um, I don't know if it's just necessarily the way I grew up, you know, I, and I don't play that. I don't see color. I mean, I believe that we, you know, all are a collective of our experience, right? So the, who I am comes from all of my experience, you know, that comes from my, my military experience with my dad, that comes from my, you know, family experiences in different areas, whether there's Arkansas, Maryland, wherever, you know, my friends, all the different things that are going on, where I've gone to school, you know, things that I've learned about my history, you know, or things like that. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of bring a big package, you know, into the picture. So, you know, you don't get pieces, you, you kind of get the collective, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, of, of who I am. And I said, mm-hmm. which is what I expect of anyone else. Yeah. You know, this which what I expect. I understand that your history, who you are and how you've developed is the sum of your experiences, you mm-hmm. know. And so, you know, the richness that's within us all, 
you know, and that beauty that we really need in order to connect you know, Mm -hmm. um, on a personal level. Yeah. We need to get past the superficial facades, Mm -hmm. you know, absolutely. I've always kind of wanted to challenge people to actually take time to really get your, just to know your neighbor, your friend, the person you say is your friend. You know, Um, I had a friend one time that I went to school with from elementary, middle, high school. We did some work together at college um, and we still, we connected again in grad school. It was so funny. So I did an opportunity to interview him and he's a Filipino heritage. Um, and so I learned things about that young man that I had never, ever known. And I mean, had no concept of, you know, I had just kind of placed him in the school setting. Hey, how you doing? But this is my friend. So what would happen if we actually had conversations where we learned about their histories and their, you know, the collectiveness and how does your family system work? What are the traditions in your families? What, Mm -hmm. I mean, really, really were energetic and wanted to know, you know, we would learn so much about our people. It actually grieved me that I had spent that much time with this person and had no idea Mm -hmm. really, you know, the experience of him as a, as a person, as his family, you know, as their heritage. And there was so much to be learned. Um, it, it actually shifted immensely the way that I interact with people right mm-hmm. then and there. It shifted how, how I am purposeful or how intentful I am with my interactions with people. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I'm hearing, kind of, I'm hearing a both to that question then that you want to be seen as the priority that you're a child of God, you're a, you're a person that's made in his image and you want people to connect with you about your collective experience. Mm -hmm. And that includes your background and, and where you grew up and your stories and, and it's a whole package. That's right. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Um, we want to respect your time. Um, we also have a few more questions. We definitely wanted to hit um, the topic of um, racism in the church. Are you guys willing to stay on for a few more minutes to hit a few more questions? I would love to talk about. Yes. Okay. All right. So let's let's go ahead and and hit this topic straight on here. The question from somebody in uh, our dear young married couple community was. Um, what has been your experience with racism in the church and how do you deal with racist family members who refuse to see black lives matter as an issue? And so you could take that as family, church family, but uh, Dr. Blash, please. Yeah, if I can, and I would like to address this from a systemic uh, vantage point and maybe allow the others to kind of bring it closer to home. Okay. Um, I think as a movement, and I'll focus on the apostolic movement, um, one of the mistakes we make, and I've already alluded to this, is not looking at our own history um, of, of racism and racial divide. Okay. Um, the other mistake we make is, uh, and this is my opinion, is that there's an assumption that the spirit takes care of all things. Mm. Um, And and that's just not true. There are some things we have to work out. The the spirit won't help you lose weight. you got to work it out. Uh, What? I tried. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but as apostolics, we apply that to everything. So here's here's what happens from my vantage point. 
everybody comes into the church, doesn't matter what your background is, who you are, how you've been raised, doesn't matter. If you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's going to um, help govern your desires. It's going to make you a part of a family and it's going to, um, you, you'll be consumed with that thing that is spirit that brings you together with all other people who are spirit filled across the world. You can spot each other and it puts you a part of a, a body. And then the word of God, uh, the word of God governs your behaviors, how you interact with each other. And those two things together keep us as a body and as, as one. Um, the Spirit of God guiding us, the Word of God guiding us. Um, and so because that's true, many people say, hey, we are just one people. Don't think about race. Don't think about ethnicity. Don't think about gender. Yeah. We're just one people. And that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, let me tell you some of the issues that, that make us think this way. Okay. Galatians 3.28, Colossians 3.11 both indicate there is neither Greek, nor Jew, nor slave, nor free, nor, nor male or female. Okay. Right. And so it's easy to misinterpret that to say there are no differences. But how many know as apostolics, we tell our women to do things differently than we tell our men and vice versa? <laughs> right. Clearly, clearly there is a difference. Yeah. Clearly there's a difference. Mm -hmm. um, we celebrate... Um, what do you call these all national days mm. where nation days where we bring in all the flags and we say, look at the differences that are here. So on the one hand, we want to acknowledge them. And on the other hand, we don't want to acknowledge them and we can't have it both ways. Ah. Um, so if we're going to celebrate all nations, if we're going to sing in different languages, if we're going to understand that people have different cuisines We've got to know that we're different. Mm -hmm. um, now, those differences don't have to separate us. That's where the spirit and the word come in. That's how we stay together, which is ultimately the answer. Wow. But for leaders to just assume, because you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we're all equal. And let's not talk about the other things. Uh, it's incredibly short-sighted. And uh, what it does, and I'm being very blunt here, Mm -hmm. is it maintains the status quo for a very Eurocentric uh, movement. Mm -hmm. That's what it really does. And mm -hmm. if anyone has any questions about that, they have only to look at the fact that we still have apostolic organizations that are absolutely segregated in their senior leadership. And I'm not talking about one, which is why I'm not naming them, because there's too many of them. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're from white groups, black groups, Hispanic groups. So I'm not just talking about one group. I'm talking about a current divide uh, by race or ethnicity right. within the apostolic movement. We just can't pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. So we have to deal with these issues. Um, and the things that are spiritual, we need to take and deal with them spiritually. And the things we have to work out, we just have to do the hard work of working out. But when you tell me, let's just forget about everything, what you're saying is, let's maintain the status quo. And that status quo wasn't built for me, designed for me, and it doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very well said. Amen. So there's, yeah. the, there's the systemic big mm -hmm. picture view. Yeah. Maybe we can narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, one of you, Cynthia or Kevin. 
And maybe uh, Cynthia and Kevin, if you could speak to um, that second question as as a non-minority, if I have family members, this is what someone asked, you know, if I have family members, church members, friends who refuse to see the racial divide as an issue, how do I respond? Um, how do I deal with this? What do I say? That um, would be the million dollar question sometimes, um, quite honestly. <laughs> um, Not a million you know, dollars? I, I mean, you know, because there, there are a lot of uh, lanes of thought, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of meritocracy, you know, there's a lot of, you know, if I can do it, they can do it, you know, yeah. a lot of different ways, but everyone's not understanding that there are inequitable issues. There are disparities that are showing up, you know, that mm -hmm. field is not even, you know, um, mm -hmm. one may look at me and my children, my, even our field is not even, you know, and so um, may not have come from a, a lower level, but, you know, there's different stacks, mm -hmm. you know, and you got to give people what they need. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting to, to have these conversations and they are very tough conversations mm -hmm. to have. You know, mm -hmm. you have to have the wherewithal within yourself to know what you believe and to mm -hmm. understand that you're not always going to be able to change what others think or feel, right? Yeah. You know, if, yeah. if we could, you know, sometimes it takes time and experience and learning. You know, some people who are, have been really, I call it almost hard-headed early on over time, they've been able to understand and get an understanding over time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, that's that's where you see that dynamic of change. I said, but, you know, I wouldn't necessarily get into riffs with people because they're going to have their own, necessarily, their thought processes. You can yeah. present your view, right, and stand by your views and stand by and, and make sure that your your language is, is, is lining up with your actions, okay. you know, that's your best, you know, your best way. We talk about being allies, right? Letting your yeah. language line up with your actions, you okay. know? So, you know, um, you know, it's just a matter of you know, how are you interacting, you know, because we all have to eventually come back and look at our own, um, to some extent, and have some, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then be able to really look at it and to be able to discuss it. But, you know, yes, it's a million dollar question. If we could actually, you like, have a key <laughs> that just right. turns on yeah. the light bulbs and everything else yeah. you know but sometimes you know it's just the way that we understand things we understand the world their perception and their experience and you know we may, mm -hmm. sometimes we never know maybe they had a really negative interaction um mm -hmm. that was really bad that had us kind of a scarring effect who knows yeah. um but um you know doing your best you know to to be your own to be your own example you know, okay. um, you know, and then hopefully, you know, others will be able to see over time, but it's going to be through their experience, I think. So yeah. I hope yeah. that, that helps a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Make sure your words match your actions. That's mm -hmm. good. How about for what are those you, actions? Kevin? Yeah. <laughs> How Kevin. about for you, Kevin? Um, yeah, you know what? I think, I, I think it's important to go to the word of God. And um, I know uh, the Bible says in Galatians uh, 6 and 2, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And mm -hmm. it's, if you see a, a brother or sister uh, struggling with something, it's important that we, we stop and say, hey, you know what, this person is, is struggling. We need to help bear this burden. Mm -hmm. And um, now if, if they wanna 
you know, like Sister Cynthia was saying earlier, if they want to argue and oh no, it's there's no issues, you're you're just you're having a hard time. Um, you know what? I I probably would just stop there. I would, you know, because like she said, you can't change them. Mm -hmm. You know that you know that's up to them and God. Um, but uh, um, I I think. Um, um, Sorry, somebody's coming in the door here. Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all right. Um, but anyway, I think I think the word of God has a lot of grounds to help us with these issues. And, you know, as the word is preached, you know, hopefully people are getting these things and um, are stopping and just slowing down and say, hey, you know what, my brother over there, they're struggling with with issues. You know, let me let me talk to him. Let me listen and, mm -hmm. you know, see what's really going on and, and try to hear him out. Okay. That's so good. I love that. I love you that you brought Galatians into it. Yeah. Bear one another's burdens. Amen. Yeah. And if you're not willing, you know, it looks like a lot like the Samaritan, you know, laying on the side of the road. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's yeah. so much Bible, you know, I guess when people are saying, well, all lives matter to the, you know, black lives matter statement. It's kind of like, you know, like you're saying, Kevin, why wouldn't we go like the good shepherd would go for that one lamb that's not in the flock? The 99 are fine, but why dwell on that? He's going and sitting or, you know, and rescuing that one. I guess it's just paying, it's leaning in and paying attention to where the pain is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So good. Um, Dr. Blush, this question came in and I'll direct it to you because uh, you're married to a woman who is not African-American um, and does not have the same skin color as you. This person said, um, how do we respectfully change the minds of elders who oppose interracial couples or interracial marriage? Can you speak to that? Um, I, would, I would try a few different approaches um, if someone was genuinely asking me, you know, hey, help me understand this, I would start with discerning how genuine when they were. Um, if they wanted to contend or argue, I probably would respectfully decline that conversation. They're not ready for it. Mm. Um, however, if they're really ready for it, then they need to be ready to sit down and listen to the history um, of how this thought came to be. Mm -hmm. And what they're going to recognize is that it's not from the Bible. So let's start there. It's not from the Bible, which means we can't stand on it. Okay. Good. But, but it's from somewhere. So let's find out where it's from. And I would have enough literature to show them how that mindset developed over the years and how many other mindsets developed alongside of it that we later rejected because they couldn't be supported by the word. Mm. Um, and so I would then give them the option to reject this as well. Um, and, and I could go on, on about that, but wow. it's, a very, it's a very difficult thing because I've seen people that had real conviction about this issue. And my question was, how did you develop a conviction about something that's not in the Bible? Huh. Right. What, else, what else have you given that much power to that it can convict you? Mm -hmm. As the same way you're convicted about Acts 2.38, you're convicted about, how is that possible? Mm -hmm. What equal out there to the word of God have you consumed 
that makes your convictions about this as equal to your biblical. And, and uh, you know, that's a little bit more forward of a conversation. But if they're really sincere, yeah. then I let them take that to prayer and argue it out with God based on what I've just said. Mm. So good. So good. I, I'm hearing kind of a theme in each of your answers um, pertaining to this question and the, the prior question. And that's, you know, if the person is genuinely wanting to have this conversation, yeah. sit down and share experiences, sit down and share history, talk about the Bible and what, what it has to say about this issue um, and what it doesn't have to say about this issue. Um, but if they're not genuine and they, they just want to argue or debate, respectfully decline that debate. That's what yeah. I'm hearing from you guys. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Let me let me say this because I went on, I was pretty uh, bold with my last statement about some racism in the church. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't want to take back. I want to double down on that. Let me okay. just say that. Okay. Okay. People could say, Brother Blash, how can you say that? You have been accepted and invited everywhere. So how are you going to sit there and tell me there's a problem? And here's what I will tell you. I speak, um, and I don't mean just in terms of the spoken language. I mean in terms of understanding the culture. So as people invite me into their pulpit, they know I'm going to be able to communicate with who is there. Mm. However, I have rarely, if ever, seen a minority who didn't speak fluent white America offered the same advantages that I've been offered. Mm. So, so to be very pointed, yes, I have been offered a pretty large platform, but it's because I speak fluent white America and I'm not a threat. Wow. Uh, and so that needs to be heard. And so leaders, I'm talking to you. Um, you, can, you can change things. You can add diversity to your leadership. You can bring in people who, if they don't speak fluent white America, maybe they're speaking something else that your black or brown people are going to better hear. Mm. But do you understand the reason you want me to speak fluent white America is you brought me there for fluent white Americans. Mm. Wow. So diversify who you bring to your church mm. so they can speak to other groups. Mm. And so um, this has been my experience, and I'm just being honest and um yeah we're and thankful direct. thank you for that that's and to have enough insight and then enough confidence to share that insight is a big deal and, and i think a lot of leaders can benefit from hearing that that's an action step that they can take right now yeah right that's they, a very next, important um, point next time i visit them i'm speaking in all ebonics yeah. Well, here, here becomes the thing is that, you know, he's talking about inclusion and exclusion, right? Yeah. You know, um, in terms of representation, you know, so if you walk into a place and you're not represented, automatically feel included or that you can totally be a part, right? Mm -hmm. So I, it feels like I could be a part to a certain point and mm -hmm. then that's where I, I stop. You know, um, and so people have to negotiate. Am I good with that? Right? Because you've got people coming from all walks of life, all socioeconomic statuses, all kind of different places, you know, and am I going to be okay? I'm just, you know, and I'm out and I'm able to share and I do conferences and I do all different things. Um, and then I get 
stuck kind of here, you know, mm. that may not necessarily be okay. Yeah. You know, that's something that people of color are always negotiating, especially mm. if you come into a place that is not as diverse, right? Or it doesn't represent yeah. as diverse. Um, you're, you, that's the question is, is my family going to be okay here? You know, are yeah. they going to be able to grow? You, yeah. you know, where are they going to go? You know what I mean, because I know maybe even though it's not perfect and, you know, on a segregated side, I, on say I go to a predominantly black or American church, things could be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's just it's one of those things where we're nego- we're always having to negotiate, and then our the positions that we're in in terms of, of coming in and realizing that we are breaking lines, and yeah. that you know, and that there we have to be in place. Mm-hmm. We have to be in place to make effective change. You know, if we're not mm-hmm. there, you know, it's it it doesn't necessarily happen, or the status quo will maintain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's not it's not working. Yeah, that that just opened my eyes up big time that when you walk into a place, especially a church, it's not that you're only assessing physical safety, but you're assessing spiritual safety. Is my family going to be able to grow here because of what I'm seeing in the leadership and across the pulpit and in the people? I Wow. That just, that was an eye opener for me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, something also that I just realized is that you three represent or come from have a history in three different denominations um all pentecostal denominations um and yet you've experienced something similar in each of these three denominations um so it's not something that we're just seeing in in one particular type of christianity or one particular denomination but you you see this across the board yeah, it's uh, Bishop Wilson. I listened to him speaking the other day, and I didn't hear everything. But what I did hear him talk about this, this is a human problem. Yeah. All of us across, mm-hmm. we, we have this human problem, but it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, key word there, it's, yeah. it's a problem. Yeah. So it's across all the, or, it, many, many organizations suffer with this um, to one extreme or the other. And God I, I don't see God blessing racial divide in the church. Yeah. And I think it's one of the things that as apostolics, we're going to be held accountable for when there is a judgment day. Yeah. So good. Wow. One, I guess just to wrap this up and I know that we're kind of, we're going long here. I hope, I hope you it's guys very are okay. important. We want to respect your time, yeah. man. We're learning so much. And I know that the valuable. listeners are also probably going to be finding a lot of, uh, insight into what you guys are saying. I guess we've heard so much. I guess now, what are the solutions, maybe some of the action steps that that can be taken by leadership, that can be taken just by like us, you know, mm-hmm. we're in the church. Well, how do we start to create a safe place for our brothers and sisters that are African-American or brown or whatever, how do we start to, to break these walls down and help lower the defenses and walls mm-hmm. of our friends? Yeah. We have, we have experience with this. Good, soul, effective soul winners listen to the person they're trying to win and they minister to the pain and they minister with the scriptures. They listen. And that helps them know that's why they're most effective. We can do the same thing. This conversation and other conversations like it 
that don't bring division, but certainly brings exposure. We need more of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we need our leaders, our white leaders to listen to this and not walk away going, oh my goodness, they think I'm racist. We don't think you're racist at all. Um, I mean, just we, we don't. We need, we need there to be an open dialogue. And again, I'm being very blunt. Because there's a power differentiation between who's in power and who's not, yeah. there's always one side who can stop the dialogue. Mm. We need leaders, we need white leaders not to stop the dialogue when it becomes uncomfortable. Okay. And we need... We need black and brown people to handle those dialogues well and not bring or hold responsible um, the person you're talking to for the entire history of the United States. Um, we're not trying to fix that. That's history. Mm-hmm. So we need to we need we need to learn a lot and we need to listen um, to each other. But right now, I think it's very very important that our white leaders listen to. Uh, their black and brown ministers, peers, colleagues, and their parishioners. Um, but but it's a starting place. And mm-hmm. I think we're doing it. I, I really do. Mm. We're doing it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. don't stop the conversation and then listen and minister to the pain point. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That Other was, that input was, that you guys that was, have? I would say that was, that was spot on because um, one of the things that I was, was resonating with me was really – um the listen listening you know and you know we know there's a difference between listening and then active listening right there's a difference you know sometimes we just listen to hear yeah i heard it and now it's over you know we go to those little presentations and we don't intend on buying anything well this is a time (laughs) that you need to listen right yes to listen the intent to learn to absorb right this is something that's so that's you know so important for us to really get um, this is where we this is where we start to learn the human side of people, right? The real pieces of people, right? Mm-hmm. And when they become alive to you and their experiences become alive, as in you're able to make, you're able to learn from that, right? And that's the piece. Um, and that's where you will learn the ability to then lead, right? You can take that mm-hmm. information and then lead. And it's like, but you, you've got to have those listening ears on. They, you know, the, the, the heartbeat is so, is bouncing so hard right now. It's just boom, boom, boom. It's almost like if you can't hear this, I don't know what you can hear, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so being able to sit at this moment, I said, we appreciate, appreciate and appreciate, you know, my phone is ringing. My DMs are going off. People are contacting us, my children, my family. Um, And so with inquisitive ears and really wanting to understand and really kind of take, hey, this is the first time I've actually seen people say, oh, wait, I thought I was didn't have any racial racist tendencies, but I might have. Uh, Yeah. You know, I you know, it's the first time I'm seeing that. And it's like, (gasps) I just begin to breathe like, wow, oh my gosh, people are really seeing it. And, um, you know, and so, I mean, there's, there's terms, you know, whether it's the blacks or, you know, just things that people have, have used, you know, and then be able to say it. I, and I maintain to keep myself open and say, Hey, you know, come and ask, you know, just, just, just let's have a conversation about it. I will, I will tell you, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and let you know, you know, how to navigate this. I said, but I appreciate the eagerness to learn, the eagerness to, to self-check, 
right? Mm-hmm. We, I always try to do self-check. I got to self-check myself, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm not without bias at times too. I have to check myself, right? And be mm-hmm. like, hmm, that wasn't so good. Um, you know, but being able to be eager to learn and be eager to do your own self-check and to go back and say, wait, was that? Was that something? Mm. So good. You know, I didn't like the tinge, that little hinge that was on it. But being able to take that and learn, right? So listening and let's learn, let's evaluate, mm. you know, ourselves, um, our positions, you know, let's do our research. There's so many great documentaries out there. You know, um, I, you can't begin to learn all of history, even in a week. You know, there's yeah, so much sure. that's ongoing. But when you do that history and that research, you'll be able to understand and make the connections, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is where some of these thought processes come from. Mm. And, oh, it makes perfect sense as to why, you know, there feels like there's a structure or a system of oppression or, or what people are feeling, you know, and it's just the same way we tell the story, you know, I'm a person that loves, a therapist who loves people tell their story so I can connect and understand yeah the meaning of their being, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, but being able to do that, I'm like, do your research, do, you know, I was like, don't just listen to the media. Don't just listen to the people downstairs. Don't listen to the generations of stuff that's just come (laughs) down from every, you know, yes. Great, 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 great. Whoever, you know, get the information for yourself. I said, there's a lot of misinformation out there, but there's a lot of accurate information out there. You know, that will definitely change the narrative of what we've been, what we've been been told. Yes. I love that. Will you, the three of you, will you share with us some resources? I mean, we've been seeing it out there the last couple of weeks, lots of book recommendations, but if we could get, you know, not from random platforms, but from the three of you. Helpful. Helpful. Documentaries or books something yeah that would be great and we'll include it in the show notes would that be okay with the three of you that'd be perfect yeah okay kevin how about you um we we didn't hear for you what uh the answer to that question sure sure um i think that you know the common theme uh that i'm hearing i think through this whole conversation is listen communication and um and that's you know very important and I think with that, within that communication is perhaps during this entire discussion, maybe there's something here that maybe hit a chord uh, with somebody, you know, as they listen to this. Um, and maybe you've you've been guilty, and you've 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 said something you shouldn't have said, or you've done something that you didn't realize. Um, I think one of the 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 processes of healing or beginning the process of healing is to apologize. You know, if there's something that you said to somebody, um, an apology works wonders, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and um, again, going back to the communication and I'm, and I'll, I'll stop it here. Um, a scripture that came to mind is Ephesians uh, 4:29, And it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth and a lot of times without realizing there there may be corrupt communication what is corrupt corrupt is something that is um bad it's rotten it's you know it doesn't edify you know it doesn't build up but it, it tears down um but then it says 
um, let's see, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but let that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Um, we all need grace. I don't know about you. I, <laughs> Amen. But um, we, you know, the body, the entire body needs to be edified. Yeah. Um, the black community needs to be edified within the church. And um, so it's important to listen, as we've stated throughout this process, to listen and communicate. Um, over communication is, is better than no communication. Mm. Um, mm. We can't yeah. avoid the issues. We have to take them um, head on. Yeah, so good. Excellent. So good. Wow. I think you guys have left, well, I know you have left us with so many ideas and thoughts and really i guess a motivation too right to to have more of these conversations and to edify like you're saying um and just to work on being intentional about creating space mm -hmm. for the for this sort of conversation but also friendship because yeah. a lot can be done within a friendship you can get the understanding the communication yeah. sitting across from someone at a table or playing some basketball with somebody on a court, you can have some amazing time. And I think that really does start to hum humanify or yeah. you see that person as a brother rather than just an other. So thank you guys for opening up and being yes. uh, vulnerable. This is not yeah. a uh, super safe thing to do, but thank yeah. you for being vulnerable. Yeah, this was like, I think a, talking about what you said earlier, Kevin, the walls that can come up. Yeah. This was an example of you guys just- This is not a wall. <laughs> taking walls down to be vulnerable and to share and knowing that there might, there might be a cost to that. Yeah. Socially, you know, um, maybe politically. And we really, really value that you took that risk. Well, thank you for doing this um, for myself. And I can't speak for the others. Um, I feel like as a leader, if I'm going to have critiques, I need to also be available to come to the table to help find solutions. So mm -hmm. I know that some of my uh, white friends will say, listen, now you need to help us. Um, and I, I agree with them. That's okay. what we do as leaders. Mm -hmm. we, we, we come up, we, we can't bury our head in the sand. We've got to give them critiques. But we also have to come to the table on the other side and go, what can we do about this? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not plugging anyone in particular, but I, I happen to know your pastor is very adamant about practically how do we begin to adjust some of these dynamics. Yes. And, and what he's thinking about is the kingdom, mm -hmm. because that opens up more pathways into the kingdom. And if anything that we can do to do that, we want to do it. Absolutely. That's what he's thinking. And, and so... Uh, we come up with the solutions. And the last thing I'll say is I will be happy to send you articles, but these you, you have to warn the listeners. The articles are written from people that um, they're not coming from theology. And ultimately, our answers must come from there. Okay. So they, they certainly will help and educate, and, and they're great for that. They're great for conversation. Okay. But we always need to bring that conversation back to theology. Okay. Um, not even U.S. history. Um, now, I think we can talk about apostolic history, but we bring it back to theology, and I will happily share. I've got a ton of things 
that I use at work that uh, I'd be happy to share with you. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah. I've, I've heard so many action steps from each of you. I mean, from just apologizing, Kevin, you said that. Cynthia, you said, you know, listening and learning so that we can lead. Mm. And yeah. and then, Dr. Blash, you gave several practical steps that leaders and pastors can take in their pulpits, in their leadership team, um, and then just what we can do as the body of Christ. And so I think it's a beautiful launching place for us to start seeing some some change, some continued change. And like you said, I think we're, we're blessed that we have Pastor Miles Young here at our church who is very passionate about this. And, and so, you know, for those of you who are maybe leaders or pastors who are wondering, like, what are some steps that I take? Um, get in contact. We'll, we'll put some resources here that are articles, books, and people to contact um, in the show notes. So um, get in contact, listen, learn so that we can lead. Perfect. Well, God bless you guys. Put yeah. a quick two cents and just thank you guys. Thank you, uh, Adam and Krissa. We love you. And uh, and I appreciate everything that you're doing, um, not only with this current issue, but even with the, the you know, helping young marrieds. And mm-hmm. you guys have made a tremendous impact even on our marriage. And Aww. we appreciate you. Just want to let you know. Aww. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank so you. much um, for just, you know, opening up your hearts, opening up your, your lives um, and, you know, bringing up and having what we call the courageous conversations. You know, they're, they're not easy. They are. It is about being uncomfortable with the uncomfortable, mm. you know, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, you know, yeah. and, you know, and, and being willing to just come out and let's just, just talk about it. It's the only way mm-hmm. we fix things, right? You know, yeah. we can't leave it muddled underneath. We have to come out and we have to talk about it. So I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate, you know, um, my company of uh, panelists uh, that are here to share. Um, and I, I just appreciate you all. I appreciate mm-hmm. the Lord. I appreciate the Lord in all of us, yes. you know, and yes. how he leads and how he will continue to lead mm-hmm. us, you know through these times and the times that are to come. So, you amen. know, we're looking forward to that. I want to say that great day. So amen. Yes. All, this is, all this is put behind us, you know. Amen. amen. Preach. I love that. <laughs> so good. Uh, we love y'all. We love you. Uh, hey, right. Dr. Blash, would you mind closing us in prayer? I will close in prayer. Thank you. Uh, precious Father, we, we come before you and... God, we're, we're talking about sensitive issues and uh, people will listen and they'll be all over the map and how they feel about this. God, what I'm asking is that your spirit will guide us. That's what the Holy Ghost will do. It will teach us and guide us, Lord. It won't, it, it won't separate, God. It will bring us together. It will unify us, Lord, and I thank you for that. God, at the end of the day, the apostolic church is the answer for this world. So help us, God, be the best we can be, that more doors can be opened from people from all backgrounds. God, there's a reason you're flooding the United States with people from all over the world, God. You're preparing for this great revival. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be open for that, God. We've got to be receptive for that. And these conversations and others like them that help us grow closer to being ready. We thank you for them. God, I pray over the people who are hurting in congregations. I pray over the pastors who are frustrated and not sure what to do. Those that have been, they've tried something and it's been criticized. Lord, 
I pray that you give us a fresh energy to tackle these very important issues and that we would do it, God, under the guidance of your spirit and your word. Make us one, Father, is my prayer. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We love and appreciate you all. You guys are the best. God bless you. We love you. Love you. Bye-bye.